Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, if you are a guest with us, uh, my name is Brian, and uh, good to have you, and have the privilege of being one of the pastors here and bringing you the message today. And so as you uh, flip to find Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bibles, or if you don't have a Bible of your own, there's one in the pew rack in front of you that you can certainly use, and we'd say if you don't have a Bible at all, um, take that as uh, your own from uh, us to use a gift. Uh, but as you're flipping there, let me ask you, how, honestly, how many of you, uh, a few years back when uh, Prince William and the now Princess Kate were wed, uh, stayed up all night or got up extra early to catch that wedding live? Come on, let's, it's church, you got, can't lie. Um, or maybe, uh, this counts too, if you DVR'd it to watch it the next day, okay. All right, there's a few of you um, who are crazy, that's cool. Um, <laughs> Maybe some of you, uh, I know, if you're, again, we're in church, you gotta be honest, this past Monday, just wrapped up season 18 of uh, The Bachelor with Juan Pablo. Uh, not as many hand raising on that one, but I know it's out there. Uh, well, I, I just don't know how you can miss that, because the uh, commercial said that this particular episode is gonna be the most dramatic rose ceremony yet, which is just amazing to me. 18 seasons, every episode, each one seems to outdo itself. I don't know how they do it. Pretty, pretty impressive, so if that's you with uh, Juan Pablo and the words of Juan Pablo, it's okay, it's okay. And, uh, and the reason we watch this stuff is because frankly, we live in a culture that is obsessed with happily ever afters. We, we're obsessed with proposals, diamond rings, and expensive weddings. Uh, but in all honesty, probably a little less excited uh, about the day after the wedding, the marriage. Uh, as we know that um, really after that one day, there are thousands of days that are supposed to actualize uh, that were said, those vows in that one moment. And so today and for the next three weeks, we wanna look at uh, the day and the days after the big day that stack up uh, one on top of another, on top of another, on top of another until quote, hopefully death do us part as today we're gonna to be starting a new series on the topic of marriage entitled Mr. and Mrs. Better Half, looking at to how each of us individually in our marriages can become the best better half that we can be. And uh, even as I say this, and as appropriate as it might seem to do a, a series on marriage here and there, um, what, uh, and why that applies to a lot of you, there's a large population in the context of our church who just heard, oh great, three weeks of church, just not for me. Wonderful, can't wait, um, because of not being married. And so if that's you today, let me encourage you here as we start this series, um, why this series is still for you as well. Uh, one, and this might be among the more obvious, you may hope to one day be married. And if that's the case, then uh, you can certainly take some notes for uh, that future uh, reality uh, that we hope comes your way. Uh, secondly, uh, even if not married today, uh, and maybe that's the result of something, you know, we don't wanna just blaze past here, um, that uh, there could be a lot of hurt uh, and challenge when it comes to that topic in your life uh, due to the loss of a spouse, either maybe through death uh, or divorce, and so we, we recognize that, or, or maybe you're in a place where um, you say, you know, I am single and uh, have pretty much every intention or even feel the call of God to be single uh, in my life uh, for the rest of my days and aren't looking to get married. Uh, I would encourage you to recognize that even where scripture, as we're gonna see today, speaks to 
a marriage relationship. It's really speaking to the fabric of all of our life's relationships as God created each of us not to be in isolation. Uh, even our God himself, we talk about him in the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with this understanding that God is in relationship with himself as an uh, example of how we are to live in relationships with one another and not in isolation. And so um, I'm confident, in fact, I heard from a lady after this service that that applies so to where me and my mother are at right now. Thank you so much. And so um, this stuff applies to all of our life's relationships. And then thirdly, the reason this is for everybody, and I would say most importantly here this morning, that... Uh, if you've been with us here in the last few weeks, we just concluded a series entitled All In, uh, looking at what does it mean to be all in for Jesus and his church in this together. That what is it? We looked at what it means for us to be the body of Christ, as it says in Ephesians 1, that our church is built not of physical bricks and stones, but of, uh, as it says in 1 Peter 2, that we are living stones being built together to build Jesus' church, and that together uh, we are family. Uh, The Bible says that we as a church, we are brothers and sisters in Christ as family, Ephesians 2, and then Jesus in Mark 3. And so here with that, uh, as we look at a marriage series, even if you're not married, and I'd say this is true of any topic that we ever cover that you hear, you're like, I'm not really sure that applies to me. Let me tell you why every topic uh, that we ever talk about applies to every person in every pew if you're a part of our church. Because when we as a family, when You could say when one among us has a burden. Well, that means we all have a burden. As it says in Galatians 6, that we as brothers and sisters, that we are to carry, we are to bear one another's burdens as the church. And this is how we fulfill the law of Christ. Because we as church, we as family, um, in bearing one one another's burdens, uh, if one of us has a burden, well, that means we all have a burden. We all have a burden. And I think we'd be hard-pressed here in this room today for anyone to say that um, marriage in our country, uh, in our community, uh, marriages in our church, and quite possibly even marriages right here in this room here this morning are not in a burdensome place. Uh, Because many of us, we've heard the statistics, we've heard that 50% of all marriages end in divorce, and uh, we know this so much so that we've even grown numb to it. Uh, but as we said uh, kind of in the church newsletter about this, that uh, if I told you that leaving church today, that uh, there was actually a 50% chance that you would be in a fatal car accident at the first intersection that you come to, how many of you are going to find a different route to go home? And so in the same vein of that, uh, we hear, we know that 50% of the I do's uh, will not end in death do us part, but instead divorce do us part. Well, we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can here at First Christian to do, uh, take the best route in our marriages. And not just the best route to avoid divorce, but to have the best route to try to have the best marriages that God wants in our lives. And so I believe, uh, as many of you believe today, that God's word, the Bible, is uh, where we find that. He's got the first and the last word and the best word on what it looks like uh, for all topics of life, marriage included. And so as we say that we're going to start off with scripture, um, that's, that's how we start every sermon here. Every, we always tell you, turn to scripture, that's where we start everything. Uh, and I say that because I want to tell you that as the communicator of this this morning, I'm not trying to stand here as one before you uh, saying, because I'm speaking about this, that I've by any means got this figured out. Uh, I'm a fellow sojourner with many of you trying to figure out this whole marriage deal. Um, and so Jessica and I, we by far have no perfect marriage. 
Uh, I would say we have a good marriage, a blessed one that we work really hard on, but by no means perfect. So please don't hear that as uh, the messenger of uh, God's word today. Uh, but know this, uh, something I believe of every topic uh, that we cover out of God's word, that um, where my weaknesses as the communicator, as a, uh, the gaps I might have as a man, as, as a husband, as a pastor for you, um, the reality is, and the good news is, is that God's word, that the message of God uh, always surpasses the weaknesses of the messenger. And so we can always stand on that. And then second, you might be sitting there thinking, how old is this guy? How long have you been married? And in fairness, uh, 32 and married 10 years. And you might say, okay, what is he going to say to us about death do us part after 10 years in? Well, again, in all fairness, um, you're right. There's not much I can say to that end until I've reached that. I'm not in a hurry to die. So, uh, <laughs> but, that, but that's why we don't preach. I don't say, you know, turn to second Talties, you know, whatever chapter. Uh, I, don't, I don't preach um, my story. Again, we preach God's story. We preach his story for our life and his message for our marriage. So with that and standing on that understanding, that kind of uh, social agreement among us, with that, let's start with God's word. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. As we're gonna read the Apostle Paul as he is writing to uh, a church, uh, Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, he says this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, Gentiles here means literally Greeks. And what he's saying is basically how the rest of the world lives, referring to anyone who doesn't follow and know the one true God of the Bible. He says, you or we must no longer live as the world does in the futility of their thinking. They, the world, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way that you have learned. That's not the way that you have learned. You being a follower of Jesus Christ, indulging, excuse me, um, indeed, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that, that is not the way you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupt by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. All right. Well, what we see here in this passage is really one of the greatest passages in Scripture as to reveal to us the difference between uh, the world's way versus God's way. It's a great passage on what it means to put off our old self in exchange for the new self that comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, but something you might be thinking as if this is our primary passage for today is, um, where's, where's the marriage stuff? And that, you know, hey, if we only got a few weeks to talk about marriage, shouldn't we look at one of those passages that speaks specifically uh, to marriage in the scriptures? Well, here's the truth about um, God's word for you when it comes to marriage. You see, many of the best passages in scripture on marriage actually don't even have the word marriage in them at all that some of the best passages that you've never heard uh, at a wedding or that you've never heard on how to be married, how to be a husband, how to be a wife, never even utter the word married, husband, wife, because 
because the best passages to teach us about our relationship with our husband or our wife actually come from and come out of and teach us from our heavenly relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because consequently, when you do happen to find the passages in the scriptures that talk about married or say husband or say wife, what you're gonna find in every case, even as uh, the Bible talks very practically in the nuts and bolts about how to be married, every single time what you're gonna find is it's a reflection of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The scriptures are always gonna teach marriage out of a reflection of a mirror of trying to mirror our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so we are gonna get practical uh, in our nuts and bolts and the how-tos to kind of approach our marriages out of the scriptures in the weeks ahead. Uh, One of the most practical things, in fact, that we're gonna do is gonna be week three where we have a special guest, uh, Matt Lauer of the Today Show. Um, Okay, that's actually the guy's name, but he's Matt Lauer of Dare to be Different. Uh, and he's going to be uh, preaching with us uh, in those services. And then on that Monday night and Tuesday night following, March 31st and April 1st, he's going to be leading uh, several of us, I believe, through uh, some marriage mentor training. And uh, if you want to know more about that, um, which I'm confident you do, there's an insert in your bulletin if you want to grab that out to kind of follow along as I kind of do this shameless plug right now. Um, that uh, if, if you want to participate in this, or if you might say, okay, what are the qualifications for someone to participate in marriage mentor training? Um, we would say it's simply this, that uh, you're A, a follower of Jesus, that so you're Christian, and B, you would say of your marriage, I believe we have a healthy marriage. Not a perfect marriage, uh, but we, we believe we have a healthy marriage and might be able to help uh, other marriages in the life of our church and community. And so, Uh, It said that in a congregation our size, to start this ministry effectively, we need about 20 couples to participate in the training. And then from there, participating in the training doesn't automatically uh, put you in uh, the marriage mentoring role, but it does give you a pretty full understanding of the breadth of it as you consider it. Uh, With that, the cost, the per couple cost is about $90, but thanks to uh, the generous gifts of a couple here in the life of the church, um, they wanted to make it as accessible as possible for those feeling feeling led to that, so they've covered the cost for the first 20 people who want to register for that. So you can uh, fill that out there in your bulletin and drop it off at the Welcome Center. Just hand it to me after service. I'd love to talk with you more about it. And uh, so we're gonna get practical, very practical, beyond just three weeks of uh, sermon series and how we're gonna be practical in helping marriages beyond this three weeks. Uh, But then very specifically next week, uh, we're gonna talk about some practical stuff that kind of flows out of this week. Because again, here's the big idea for today. You can't get uh, what you're gonna get out of week two and week three if we don't first get week one. We don't get to jump into the fullness of the practicalities of what scripture says about how to live out our married life together without first starting with what we're gonna look at today. And so um, I'll go ahead and tell you what that is as we look back at our passage here um, with the Apostle Paul. As he is carving, uh, we see a very sharp distinction between two very different approaches to life that then cause and affect the way we approach our marriage. And so... Um, we see that he points out the contrast between the world's way, Jesus' way, uh, uh, along with the world's way, kind of the two differences between them. He says, to put off the old self, verse 22, which he reminds us still haunts us. That even um, as Christians, we still have these things in our lives. In fact, that's um, why Jesus taught us to pray. As Christians, not to lead us into temptation or lead us through temptation and be delivered from evil, as we just prayed a few moments ago and pray each week. Um, Because even if you're a follower of Jesus, anyone else in here 
ever struggle with a deceitful desire? Verse 22. Anyone else barraged by all kinds of impurities that come out of our world? Verse 19. Anyone else ever prone to greed and selfishness, especially in marriage? Verse 19. Well, if that's not you, that's great, because that means you can kind of just tune out the rest of this sermon and not worry about it. Uh, But I would encourage you to come back next week. We're going to be talking about self-deception and lying to ourselves. (laughs) So, I mean, Paul... Paul is writing to real people in the real world, real people like you and me who deal with real stuff. And that's who Paul's talking to. And the interesting thing is he's not writing it to um, the real world out there somewhere. He's not writing to the Gentiles. He's not telling, hey, world out there, we've got to figure it out in here. You all need to get your act together and shape up. No, this letter is to a church. Paul is writing to the church, and so that's us. It's a letter to Christians because even though technically these are the ways of the world that deceit, impurity, greed, and selfishness are the ways of the world, are the ways of our old self and not our new self in Christ, we still live in this world. We still uh, live in it every day, or as Jesus said himself in John 15, he says we are to live in this world but not live of this world. And so Paul continues that in putting off our old self, putting off the ways of the world, that we are to, at the same time, and in order to effectively actually put off the old self, we must, in verse 24, put on the new self. And what does that new self look like? Paul says, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so hear God's word for you today. The most practical thing you can hear from today and from God's word today when it comes to the health of your marriage relationship with your husband or with your wife, the most practical thing that you can possibly do is actually to focus on your relationship with the Lord. The most practical thing for you, you can do for your marriage relationship right now is to actually focus on your relationship with the Lord. And I say that, and um, someone even said amen to it last night. We just proved it's like one of the most churchy things uh, that you could possibly say. But it's a bottom line for what we're talking about today and for good reason. Because, you know, we've all read probably more magazine articles, self-help books, and email forwards that we can, uh, that would last us probably a hundred lifetimes of marriages uh, if we took it all in. Yet, here we are, still trying to figure out this whole deal. And you see, it's more than tips or tricks or techniques or another how-to. What we need more than anything for the health of our marriages is to focus first on the health of our relationship with the Lord. Now again, coming out of that, there's gonna be lots of practical stuff that we're gonna look at in the weeks ahead that out of that base that we can learn how to communicate with one another, how to treat one another, how to handle conflict in a way that works. Uh, But before we can talk about how to this or how to that, we've gotta first learn uh, how to put off the old self and put off the new self in Jesus Christ. And so, putting on your new self in Jesus Christ uh, in the context of our marriages and all of life's relationships, this applies across the board, is first, first we need to recognize that your relationship with the Lord is your source of strength and identity for your relationship with your spouse. And I'll add, not the other way around. You know, kind of as you step back and uh, as we all have considered kind of staring up at the stars at one point in our lives, we kind of look for mankind's search for meaning, kind of the answer as to who am I and why am I here? And Christian counselor and author John Eldridge in his writings on this, he's exposed how that 
when we are left to our own devices, very frequently we make the mistake of seeking the answer to that question of who am I and, and what's my identity. We make the mistake of seeking the answer to that question in the context of a significant relationship with the opposite sex, or in our case, for many of us, our spouse. And so for example, if I try to define who I am and find my identity in my wife, Jessica, uh, if I live primarily for her approval and look for her to really seek and affirm the answer to who am I as an individual, as a human being on the planet, well then I guarantee you uh, our relationship is destined for struggle. Because your husband, your wife, nor any other human relationship on the planet within it has the capacity to define who you are. No finite human can define who you fully are to satisfaction. In fact, instead, your identity will, rather than be solidified when finding it in someone else, another human being, will instead be more like a, like a roller coaster. Um, that you could say like if you and your spouse are, are, are on the up and you're doing well, well then you're doing well. But if not, if on the inverse you're, you're, you're down and your, your relationship with your spouse seems to be down, then all of a sudden it seems like you're down. And so you kind of ride this roller coaster of being identified by the wellness of your relationship with your spouse. And so living in this paradigm, what you first try to do is you try to keep everything on the up. You do everything you can. You tirelessly walk on every eggshell to protect perfect uh, to make sure that nothing goes down so that you all can be well, so mama's happy and we're all happy, that whole deal right there. Um, and so you go crazy trying to do this until you realize that doesn't work. Um, you can't keep it up. You can't, uh, it's impossible to keep things perfect all the time. And so then um, when things are down and is exposed as not perfect, the next domino to fall in your relationship with your spouse is what uh, they say, fight or flight. Either you fight and regardless of what the topic is, and we've all had these fights, so you could be t fighting about something, but really what the fight is about is, why can't you just be happy with me? Why can't you just be happy with me? Because on the inside, well, that's what would make me happy because I'm seeking my identity and my source of strength in you. Or, if the fight doesn't work, we flight. We flight, we say, forget you and forget her too. CeeLo Green, uh, radio-friendly version. Um, <laughs> As we go and we try to find uh, our happy then, our fulfillment somewhere else, or in the saddest of cases, in someone else. And so you set your marriage up for struggle. You set your spouse up for failure when, when you look to your spouse to define who you are to be your source of strength as to who you are on the planet. Versus versus being instead identified by your new self, as identified and defined by God in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 4.24. That your identity is instead a beloved son, a beloved daughter, a child of God by your faith in Jesus Christ, Galatians 3.26. That we can say of and to God, you Lord are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter, and we are the work of your hand, not our spouse's. And that the Lord is the source of our strength. The Lord is the strength of his people, not a spouse. Psalm 28, eight. And so do you see the difference? 
You see the difference that, that we don't go to our spouse to get our identity and our strength. The Lord is your identity and your strength. And then here's the kicker. Here's how this plays out in marriage, that out of the overflow then, you are able to offer that strength to your spouse for the sake of your marriage. And so rather than start with your spouse and depend on them for your identity and strength, you depend on the Lord for your identity and strength, and then you have out of the overflow of that, the ability then to offer that to your spouse rather than be driven by it. And so here again, your relationship with the Lord is your source of identity. It is your source of strength for, for your relationship with your spouse and not the other way around. Second, your relationship with the Lord is the model relationship for your relationship with your spouse. Uh, as we come out of Ephesians 4 that we've been looking at, we move into Ephesians 5, which does start to talk a little bit more specifically about the marriage relationship, kind of coming out of that. And so if you wanna flip to it or follow on the screen, uh, picking up in verse 22 of chapter five, it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wildly popular verse in our culture today. <clears throat> I know, ladies, early this morning, you drank your coffee out of a mug that had that verse on it, didn't it? It's just like, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands uh, as you submit to the Lord. And uh, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. All right, fellas, your turn. Verse 25. Now, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. All right. Let me try my best to reveal to you how, particularly you ladies, never have to get all worked up about this passage ever again. You see, this passage, as we've been talking about all morning, is actually not primarily about marriage. It's not first and foremost about a relationship between a husband and a wife, but it is in fact, first and foremost, as we've been saying, it's a passage about Jesus' relationship with us as his church. As you see, as you jump down to verse 32, uh, the apostle Paul, after all this talk on marriage, he says of all this, he says, oh, and this, it's a profound mystery. And is he talking about marriage? No, he says, quote, I am talking about Christ and the church. And then verse 33, he says, however, or, oh, by the way, essentially, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. <clears throat> and so once again, we see here, as the starting place for our marriages, even more so, even in the Bible's most practical verses on what it means to be married with love and respect of one another, that even there, we see that it's all based on, it's grounded in, it comes out of, it is modeled by a relationship that is on display with Jesus Christ and us as his church. And so we say this because the reason then that we can not get all worked up and upset about this passage anymore and we can wholeheartedly actually embrace this passage is because, A, when it comes to speaking to you all as wives in the room, that your ability to respect your husbands, your strength to respect your husbands, that's rooted in the ability to show respect and submission to your relationship in Jesus Christ. And then with that, before we get nervous, fellas, as it talks to us, what do we do with that leadership? What's our job as leaders of our household? Is it to lord it over our wives? No, verse 25, it says to love 
your wife. That is your role. And how do we love our wives? It says, as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? We just celebrated it in communion. Christ loved the church by giving himself up for her and died. He died for her. That's a pretty high calling. I mean, I, I can't even load the dishwasher right. <laughs> and so we'll look at the implications of some of this a little more practically next week. Uh, but again, before we get into these practical implications of all of this, uh, of how we can kind of do and how to our marriage relationship, it's all going to start where we start with the source of strength coming from the Lord, with the model relationship being the Lord and his church, which is us. And again, that's where we start, but we're gonna conclude here with the reality that it's also where we end, that it's actually the landing point and the goal of our very marriage. And that thirdly, your relationship with the Lord is actually the point of your relationship with your spouse. As we've been looking at in Ephesians 4.24, uh, the new self being God's way and the old self being the world's way. Well, I know of no other context where we have been more duped by the world's way when it comes to what marriage is all about. Because the world says that marriage, at its core, fundamentally, really, if you were to ask someone on the street, why would you get married? What's his existence? You'd say, well, to find something like happiness. Happiness, happy, happy, happy. We all wanna find happiness. And we've been duped into believing that happiness is defined and ultimately found in, quote, the one who completes me. The one who you can wake up every day, look them in the eye and say, you had me at hello. I know that movie's like 20 years old now, but contrary to uh, the supposed meaning of relationships that berate us out of every Hollywood movie, um, as we've already said, happiness, true joy, our identity cannot be found in another human being. No finite human being, no husband, no wife, no matter how awesome they are not, but you still hold on to the fact that you hope they one day will be, cannot ultimately ever ever, ever, never, ever, ever complete you. That is only a role and only a space that only the one true God can fill in your life through Jesus Christ. And your spouse, while they can make a great blessing from God, makes a lousy God. If you look to them for your happiness, your source of identity, your source of who you are. And so then, if not happiness, what then is the point of a marriage as created by God. Well, Gary Thomas, in his book, Sacred Marriage, uh, poses this question right in the byline on the front of the book. He says, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Meaning that if the actual goal of our whole lives, as we say around here, is to become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, if that's the purpose and the direction of all our lives, well then how does marriage then fit in that rather than the other way around? That as we aim for full devotion to Jesus Christ, as we put off the old self in exchange for the new self, that is gonna be most actualized, according to the scriptures, in the pursuit of happiness? No, Ephesians 4.24 again. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Holiness, not 
happiness. Now that sounds pretty drab because you know, what you're saying is marriage like designed to make me unhappy. Some of you might say that, but um, happiness and holiness are not mutually exclusive. They, they actually can coexist rather nicely together in marriage. But I'll tell you, and the best way I can express this is that where I see happiness missing in marriages is where couples look to their spouse in that marriage to be that source of happiness, to complete what is incomplete within them rather than God. And by doing that, it really undercuts and pulls the rug out from actually being able to achieve the blessing of happiness when you put being happy as the headliner and the ultimate purpose of your marriage. And so it's really ironic, but the, I guess the best way to find happiness in your marriage is ironically not to seek your marriage to be the source of all your life's happiness, but instead to find true joy and happiness that flows out of pursuing, quote, your new self in righteousness and holiness and letting that infiltrate all the areas of your life, marriage included. And so Jesus says, if you wanna put on holiness, as referenced in Mark 8, Luke 9, Matthew 10, Jesus says, if you wanna put on the new and off with the old, if you wanna follow me, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus is saying, if you wanna learn how to live in your marriage, well, you're gonna actually have to first learn how to die. You're gonna have to learn how to die to yourself. You're gonna have to learn how to die to and put off the old things of deceit, of impurity, of greed and selfishness that is within all of our lives and particularly our marriages. In fact, uh, if you are married, um, Gary Thomas in his book, he goes on to say, uh, and and I agree, he says, I can't imagine any better area in your life where you can actually grow to become more like Jesus than in marriage. Because marriage, unlike any other relationship on the planet, confronts the old self. It it confronts the stuff we're trying to shed because it confronts our deceit, our impurity, our greed, and our selfishness when we become one with someone else. Because again, your relationship with the Lord is the point of your relationship with your spouse. And so, as we kind of take all this in for today and in all this um, kind of promising of getting practical next week, uh, what is a practical takeaway from today? What do we do with what we've got here before us? Um, We would say this, that the implications of today are for you to focus on you and your relationship with the Lord. And very simply, that comes through prayer and God's word, the Bible. And so you focus on what you can do and let God do what he does. And that's transform us and change us from the inside out that in the context of that relationship with the Lord, you can do what it says in uh, uh, Hebrews 4, that you can approach God's throne of grace with confidence and prayer. You can approach it and know that you will receive mercy and grace, it says, to help us in our time of need. So if there's need in your marriage, you can be confident that as you go to the Lord, he can help us in our marriages, in our time of need. And so the takeaway from today is you focus on your relationship with the Lord, period. Big period. Because, meaning, and I'm gonna be really blunt here, meaning that the application from today is then not for you to go get in the car and tell your spouse how much he or she sucks at what the sermon was about today. Because I've been in that car. I know what that's like. 
Well, if you just be the spiritual leader of our household, we wouldn't have to worry about da 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 da. Ladies, Proverbs 21.9. It is better for us, this is what it says, it's better for us to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. It's in the Bible. Don't blame the messenger. Proverbs 27.15 says, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. And so wives... Dripping, uh, waterboarding your husbands <laughs> about a sermon does not make us want to, con- A, consider the implications of it, or B, want us to return back next week to hear more of it. <laughs> and so instead, I would encourage you, wives, Proverbs thirty-one twenty-six: be a wife that speaks with wisdom and kindness from her tongue. And then guys, us two here, us two, we're on the hook as well. Ephesians 5.25 again, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church who gave himself up for her in sacrifice. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And so this week, rather than focusing on what your other half is not or whatever is doing or isn't doing, you focus on your relationship with the Lord that the most helpful and practical thing that you can do for your marriage relationship is to focus on your relationship with the Lord, and then let God do what God does out of that. And so, um, as we close here today, I want to share with you how we uh, closed the service last night. Uh, kind of a cool deal. Several months ago, uh, the now uh, Bridget and Terry Shock approached me, some members of our church, approached me about officiating their wedding ceremony. And then a few weeks later, uh, Pastor Wayne actually talked about how we're going to be talking about this in a sermon series coming up. And so out of that, Bridget and Terry asked me, hey, what would you think about doing our wedding in conjunction uh, with one of those worship services where we talk about marriage? And so, you know, after a few conversations together, uh, we concluded that, well, that would be awesome. And so last night, we had ourselves a little uh, surprise wedding service here coming out of the Saturday night service. And, uh, you know, when they um, approached me about, uh, you know, this, and I kind of said, why would you want to have a wedding with the church service? Uh, Bridget responded, uh, and I'll quote her on this. She says, you know, I've seen how easily a wedding can end up being all about the bride. And then, oh, by the way, let's include God and, and the church and all that. Well, they said this. They said, we want to declare that this day and our marriage is all about God and worshiping him. And that we want our wedding and our marriage to come in under that. To which I responded, that'll preach. That'll preach. And so, uh, as that's what we've been talking about all morning. And so, we did, right after the service, we flipped the whole room in about 30 seconds. Uh, we had an aisle runner and candles, and uh, I tried to put on a tie. Um, it, wasn't, it didn't go well. Um, it was all crooked. It's, you think it's hard to preach in front of 300 people? You should try putting on a tie. That's a lot of pressure, actually. And so, we, we did the processional. We, we married them, and then we did the, the recessional and send them out. And um, I said this at the close of, last service, or of that service last night, and I want to kind of share it with you today, that uh, the way I like to think of a recessional, as we think about what it means to take this one day into all the days of our life, is not just a, an exit out of the ceremony, but instead kind of an entrance into a new life, a, um, a commissioning, if you will, that commissions you as couples to 
go and live and be uh, the vows that you said in a mere moment on a single day all the days of your life. And so with that, I wanna invite you to stand with me as uh, we're gonna have Matt and Lacey, just as they did last night, they're gonna play that same wedding-y, recessional music that we're also uh, accustomed to being at weddings. And we want you to not just leave this morning and go out and get lunch, but we wanna commission you. We wanna send you out as a recessional that, um, again, regardless of married or not married, that in all your life's relationships, may you find that if you put your relationship with the Lord first, he will honor that and be true to his word. And out of the overflow of that, will bless the relationships of your life. And so with that, may you be commissioned into your life's marriages and all your life's relationship with the Lord leading the charge.